Have you ever noticed how life is always good and bad? How it's always uh, up and down? How it's always easy and hard? How it's always joy and pain? Last year we beat GCVI twice. This past Friday we lost. It's awful. I hate, I hate losing. I hate it so much. My whole job this weekend was to like shake it off so I wouldn't be grumpy in the pulpit this morning. Life is joy and pain. Like chocolate cake is good. But if I eat as much of it as I like, I end up round like a cake, which is bad. Life is good and bad. Success is, you know, kind of fun when numbers are up and to the right. Do you know we've got like a sustained 26% growth rate at this church over the last three years? It's crazy. It's awesome. So that's up, but you know it's down? All the added complexity that comes with that. Systems and people and needs and screw-ups and like it's, you know this from your own company, right? Your company's growing, that's a good thing. That's up, but man, sometimes you feel a little down as you deal with the complexity. Falling in love can be easy. Learning to be selfless, which is what sustains love for the long term, is hard. It, it, it's, it's fun to be super ripped like me, but it's hard to be humble. <laughs> you know, I wrote that. I was like, I don't know if it's going to be enough punch. Usually when you want to joke at the end, you do like somber, 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 funny. But I thought, this is so ridiculous that they'll probably laugh. <laughs> to be real, like, to be super ripped, you just basically got to eat lettuce, you know, which is hard. <laughs> so this morning, Ezra 3 has um, three suggestions to help you learn to navigate the ups and downs of life. All right, that's what's on tap today in Ezra 3. Three suggestions. Isn't this a great series? Week one was 25 points. Last week was six. This week is three. Pastor Todd's getting tired. You're like, whoa, help me, Jesus. <laughs> three suggestions to help you learn to navigate the ups and downs of life. Uh, I'm just going to uh, move my reading stool because I don't know if you've been watching the videos online, but once I sit down back there, the camera is rack focusing because it can't tell where I am. If you'd like to be a camera operator, let us know. Then you can uh, rack focus to me manually when I sit back there and we won't make all your friends think we're a bunch of losers because our videos suck. (sighs) At least the background is clear now. Hallelujah. All right, Ezra 3. This is an awesome chapter. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of Sukkot, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings as the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. It's like so many offerings, like, all right, verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. 
So they gave money to the Masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Yafo, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord, and Yeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Kadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Chenadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions, wait till I get to this point, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his mercies, endureth forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Pay attention, Grace Community Church, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. So the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Ezra 3. I love this chapter. Never preached it before in my life. If you want to navigate the ups and downs of life, first point, make a beginning. If you're a note taker, that's point number one. Okay, if you want to learn to navigate the ups and downs of life, make a beginning. We see this in verse 8. I'm going to get to it later, but just so you know that the structure is embedded here in the text. Verse 8, now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zubabel, Shaltiel, Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, made a beginning. Step one, make a beginning. If you want to navigate the ups and downs of life, lay the right foundation. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, verse 10, part A, lay the right foundation. I will preach this application as a Christian preacher, not a rabbi. Lay the right foundation. And point number three, if you want to learn to navigate the ups and downs of life, make some noise about it. Verse 11, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So those are the big three right there. You want to learn to navigate the ups and downs. Make a beginning, lay the right foundation, and make some noise. Now we will find nuances around these three layered throughout verses 1 to 13. This will put flesh on these big three ideas. Idea number one. Life is all about navigating the ups and downs, so make a beginning. So what's involved with that? All right, so this is the question that should be ringing in your head as we explore this first section. What's involved with making a beginning? Verse 1, when the seventh month came. Let me point out to you this morning, because I love you, that time is marching on. Exhibit A, my fabulous gray hair. I never used to have this gray hair. Now it's here. Why? Because time is marching on. Time is marching on. This is now the seventh month. They've journeyed home from Babylon. They've arrived home. They've been home for seven months. Time is marching on. The question is, are you redeeming the time that you've been given? Are you using it well? 
If you seek to make a beginning, I want to invite you to cultivate an actively time-sensitive life. You've heard the adage in business books. You've seen it in business documentaries. They'll hold up one of the captains of industry in North America and remind all the rest of us putzes that this person has the same 24 hours in a day that we have. The implication is always, so what's wrong with you? Now, I'm not looking to make you feel guilty. I don't like being made to feel that way either. But I was mindful as I came to this point that I could use a little more time sensitivity in my life. As you seek to make a beginning, remember that time is marching on, so use it well. And remember that togetherness is greater than aloneness. We see this highlighted in verse 1, part B. The people gathered as one to Jerusalem. This would not have been easy. Okay, you think Israel is a small country. Yes, it is. But it's big enough. There's no cars in that age of the world. You're walking. Right? It's primarily the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that were settled. So granted, they were close-ish to Jerusalem. It's not like you're walking to Jerusalem from the Galilee. But still, it's a journey of, for most, at least a day. Some a couple of days. If you lived way in the south of Judah, it would take you three days. No roads, just goat paths. I've hiked through the country that they would have hiked through. It's not easy. Okay, they're hiking home together. The people gather as one to Jerusalem. This is kind of a beautiful picture of your prophetic destiny, by the way. Your job is to travel home together to the new Jerusalem. How often do you forget that that's your raison d'etre? <laughs> I forget it at least six times a day. You know, let's remember that your destiny is to travel home together, together, to the new Jerusalem. Short form, do it together. If you seek to make a beginning, do it together. The isolation of Western culture is good for no one. We forget this in our rampant independence. Do we not? They're like, don't bother me, leave me alone. Ha, huh. we have an American who just moved into our neighborhood. How do I know? Because when he sits in his garage watching television, he keeps the door open. <laughs> Why? Because in American neighborhoods, I've spent a lot of time in American neighborhoods, when you sit out front in your garage, you leave the door open so your friends will come over to drink Bud Light. <laughs> right? Leave your garage door open. That's, that'll preach good. I didn't, I didn't even write that. That just happened. <laughs> Do it together and keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. Verse 2. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak. Now I told you I would be interpreting some of the book of Ezra lyrically. So excuse me as I interpret, then arose Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, lyrically. Then arose Jesus, the son of the righteous God. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> right? If you interpret that lyrically, if you're a charismatic or a Pentecostal and you interpret that prophetically, that sentence ought to bring you to a screeching halt to pause for a moment and go, who's standing up here? Jesus, the son of the righteous God. 
Yeshua, Ben, Yeho, God, Zadak of righteousness. <laughs> so like the original Yeshua, Ben, Yeho, Zadak, in this story is of course not Jesus, the son of the righteous God, but I'm going to just take that as a little prophetic wink from the Most High to remind me and you to get back up like your Savior. <laughs> your Savior had a habit of getting back up. Yes, he did. Most famously, when they laid him in the ground after Good Friday. <laughs> and he laid there a while, <laughs> and then he got back up. <laughs> if you ever need a reason to get back up, just remember Jesus, <laughs> the Son of the Righteous God, who got back up. Get back up like your Savior, keeping in mind that the key to life, this is very good, the key to life is the supernatural intersection. Look at verse 2, part B. This is good. I earned my living here with this one point. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. All right, in the English, it's whatever. Right? They built an altar so they could kill a bunch of animals on it. Right? You're like, we don't have to do that anymore. Jesus was killed for our sins. We're good. Then you read it in the Hebrew. And what does to offer burnt offerings on it mean in the Hebrew? Listen to the Hebrew language here. La'alot ma'alot. Do you hear the similarity there? La'alot ma'alot. From the word Allah, which means to climb, to rise up, to ascend. La'alot. To ascend, ma'alot, ascensions. To offer a burnt offering is not to kill an animal. It's not the killing of the animal that is the theologically operative or important thing. It's the fact that you are now ascending atonement before God. La'alot, ma'alot. To ascend ascensions. An altar is an intersection where heaven and earth kiss. That's why altars matter. La'alot, ma'alot. To ascend ascensions. An altar is where heaven and earth kiss. It's an intersection. Now watch this. If Jesus was the once and final sacrifice for sin, and if you belong to Jesus, and He lives in you by the indwelling Holy Spirit, that means, hashtag, your life is an altar. I could go home, right? I'm good? Good job, Todd. That's awesome. Your life is an altar. If you ever needed a reason to starve sin in your life and pursue holiness, I think you just got it. Not because God's mad at you. Not because you're a bad person. Because your life is an altar. Your life is an intersection where heaven and earth kiss. People should look at you and say, hmm, that looks pretty good. I'm going to drive by that intersection. Amen and amen and amen and amen. 
And uh, look, remember that you're doing all this because life is up and down. It's good and bad. It's easy and hard. It's joy and pain. We've seen two instances of this so far in the first section of Ezra 3. We see it in verse 2. It's good. Why? They built the altar. That's good. But, verse 3, why did they build the altar? For fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. Good and bad. We're building the altar because we're afraid. The other instance here in the first section of Ezra 3 is found in verses 4 and 6. In verse 4, they kept the feast of booths. They kept the feast of Sukkot. And they offered up the daily burnt offerings. An aside, I didn't write this, but it's really significant to remember that (laughs) the last time they would have observed the Feast of Sukkot for the first time was when God had set them free from captivity in Egypt. This is where the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, was inaugurated, a feast that is still observed in Israel to this day. It's observed here in Guelph if you walk by the the Jewish center on college. On the right-hand side with the big menorah, soon it's Sukkot, right? Walk or drive by there, you see a sukkah sitting out front. What's a sukkah? It's basically they build like a tent with palm fronds on top, And if you're an observant Jew, you live in it for the entirety of the Feast of Sukkot. When you drive through Jerusalem, you look on all the balconies, and if it's a religious neighborhood, there's Sukkot everywhere. Kids love it. You're like, we get to camp outside for a week. Woo! Right? Discipline in school kind of like falls by the wayside. Sukkah, it's awesome, Sukkot. So just remember, this is very significant. The last time they did this for the first time was when they were set free from Egypt. This is a big deal. The first time they build those Sukkot, having been set free from Babylon. Point. God's in the business of setting his people free. Make sure you commemorate it. So many Christians are so cavalier about their freedom. Like, oh, I'm good. Jesus saved me. Whoop-dee-doo. <sighs> Maybe you should build a sukkah in your backyard. So that's good, right? They're observing the Feast of Booths. But, verse 6, the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. It's bad. Right? It's good. It's bad. Life is about navigating the ups and downs, the goods and the bads. So point number two, lay the right foundation. So you're thinking, all right, I'm laying a foundation. How exactly? I love this section of the sermon. It's difficult and awesome. How do you lay the right foundation? Verse seven, what do they do? So they gave money to the Masons, the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon. Thank you, Lord, that I get to preach this point. Is your faith costing you anything? And you notice how everything is covered? Money and gifts in kind. (laughs) So, like, look, if you're shirking your responsibility to fund Jesus' mission here in the city of Guelph, I couldn't, for the life of me, imagine why you would do such a thing. If you're God's people, this is what they do. They fund God's mission. It costs you something. Your tithes should not be a throwaway. It should not be an afterthought. You should not set it and forget it. My board's often saying, you know, you need to push, you know, pre-authorized giving. I'm like, no, I won't. I'm like, why? Because you should notice. This morning, just a point from my own life, because God forbid I should talk about you. Right? Because it's rude to talk about me. I collected my tithe and a wave offering. You ever heard of the wave offering? It's really great. If you had an awesome harvest, you brought a little extra to the temple on top of your tithe. And there was a moment in the worship service where the priest would say, 
All right, y'all, wave it up, baby, wave it up. And everybody would take their wave offering and they'd go, Ooh! So if your wave offering was a lamb, you'd wave it. If it was a sheaf of wheat, you'd wave it, right? If it was an extra 30 bucks, that's all it was for me this week, an extra 30 bucks, because a little bit extra come in. So I got to put the wave offering in my offering, okay? <laughs> Make sure it costs you something. And this is not just about money. It is about money, first and foremost. And then it's about all the other gifts in kind, food and oil and all these other things that you have. Gifts, talents, abilities, all these things that you have that you can leverage to move Jesus' mission forward through his house. Is your faith costing you anything? And don't get it twisted. Our culture will teach you that you should get everything for free. Does it not? That is not a Jesus person perspective. A Jesus person perspective is everything always costs something. In fact, a real Jesus perspective is everything always costs everything. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm enjoying this. That makes one of us. Your life may have no foundation because you're paying no price. And your build might be stalled because you're too exclusive. This is awesome. Even my father may not have thought of this. You tell me if you noticed it. He probably did. He's better than me. Who are they paying? The Sidonians, the Tyrians, the Lebanese. Who are the Sidonians, the Tyrians, the Lebanese? They are enemies of Israel to this day. God can and does use anything and anyone to build his kingdom. So, application. Are there any cedar trees in your life you're ignoring that God could be using to build your foundation? I'm preaching like an American today. Do you see it, though, in the text? They use the cedar trees from Lebanon to lay the foundation of the house of God, which means the temple in Jerusalem was being held up by pagan trees. Hallelujah. Except there's no such thing as a pagan tree. Why? Because God made all things, and he made them good. Celebrate. So uh, let's be a little more open to the unexpected. And let's never forget who's invited and where they came from and where you came from. Uh, verse 8. Now in the second year after their coming, so now it's two years, to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Yeshua, son of Yehozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come up to Jerusalem from the captivity. They made a beginning with everyone who used to be slaves who now were free. Everyone's invited, and we all used to be slaves. So let's stop it with the uppiness. Could I get one amen, please, in this house today? Amen. Grandma's with me. Not, I mean, I don't want to shout too much. I told you I wouldn't freak your friends out so you could bring them to church. We all used to be slaves, but now in Christ we are all made, we are all made alive and we are all made free. We're free. We're going home where it's time to get to 
work, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. This is the best point in the whole sermon. According to the directions of David, the king of Israel. Here it is right here. Verse 10. They came home and they what? They laid the foundation. And then they did what? They praised the Lord. Lay it, praise it. Lay it, praise it. Lay it, praise it. They laid the foundation and they praised the Lord. What is our foundation as Christians? The hint is in the name. What's our foundation? Jesus is our foundation. How do I know Jesus is our foundation? I read this to you off the top of the service. If you missed it, too bad. Here it is again. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how they build upon it, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We build our life on Jesus. God the Son made flesh, who became a man to go to a cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sin. So that the penalty for your sin and mine would not be laid upon us, destroying us, but instead it would be laid on him, the God-man. Who, because he was fully God, could bear the sins of the world. And because he's fully man, the sin can stick to him. And this good man, this God-man, this Jesus Christ, suffers and dies the death that you should have died. Because you know it, and I know it, the Bible says it, the wages of sin is death. Every time anyone sins against you, something dies. This is the cosmic problem at the root of the human experience. We are always sinning against God, and therefore we are always subject to the judgment of God, which is a big problem because God made us to be his friends from the beginning. And wouldn't that be stupid to create a whole cosmos, to have a people in it who would be your friends forever, and then to just allow them to wander off into death and damnation? He would not have it so. He did not want slaves or automatons, which is why he gave us a choice in the Garden of Eden in the first place. And though our parents screwed up that first choice, and though we continue to screw up that choice every day in every way, God the Father made a way through God the Son, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died in your place for your sin and made you right with God. And that good man Jesus died, and that God man Jesus rose again the third day, triumphing in his body over the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell, so that you, my friend, would be a slave no longer, but so that you could live free until that great and glorious day when that same Jesus will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. My dear friends, that is what Jesus did for you. I may have to accelerate my volume here a little bit and that is why we praise like david praised you notice that they praised the lord according to the directions of david king of israel let me tell you what this says in the hebrew and prepare for your minds to explode they praised the lord according to the directions of david the king of israel except in hebrew it's lehalel to praise it adonai the lord Al Yadei David. Woo! You know what that means? It means to praise God with David's hands. To praise him as if the hands of David, who played the harp before the Lord in the presence of the Lord and wrote the Psalms, 
okay? To praise the Lord like David's hands who wielded the sword, okay, in defense of God's people. We no longer wield steel swords, we wield the sword of the Spirit. To praise the Lord like the hands of David who covered his face in shame as he wept before the Lord when his sin in the matter of Bathsheba was revealed. To praise the Lord like David praised the Lord when he took that sling that first time that made him famous and wound it round and round and round and slew the giant. Those praise hands are meant to be your hands. You are meant to praise the Lord with the hands of King David. And I must point out to you that King David was in the habit of grabbing everything he could. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The picture here is of David going, give me something to praise him with. Give me something to pray. You know what else he was in the habit of doing? Ripping off his clothes and dancing before the Lord. He's my favorite dude. I love him so much. 2 Samuel 6, the ark is coming back to Jerusalem. He's so beside himself with praise that he rips his clothes off. All he's wearing is an ephod. He's literally in his gitch. And he's dancing and whirling before the Lord like a common man so that his wife Michal, who is watching from the city walls, despises him in her heart. I want to be a man like David. We must be a people like David because we are commanded to praise the Lord with the hands of David the king. So my dear friends, if you want to learn to navigate the ups and downs of life, make a beginning, lay the right foundation, and point number three, make some noise about it. Right? Could I get an amen in this joint? Make some noise about it. Let me remind you, that God created the universe with noise, with the sound of his voice. Let me remind you that the living creatures worship him around his throne day and night without ceasing by making a noise. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. May I remind you that he announced his presence in the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned that first evening, probably by singing, Because in the Hebrew text especially, it sounds like they were hiding from him and they heard him coming. And the content there is rendered in verse. So he's either stomping real loud or he's singing beautifully. And I prefer the latter rather than the former. God is in the business of making noise. How do I know? With noise, with the sound of his voice, he announced his presence to Moses through the burning bush. With sound, with the sound of the Egyptians weeping and wailing and the noise of crashing seas as he wiped out their armies at the Red Sea. Did he set his people free in the Exodus? With the sound, he yielded up his spirit when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and then said it is finished and friend with a shout he will return to make all things new here's my big idea this has nothing to do with my personal bias there is no such thing as a silent christianity it just doesn't exist it just doesn't and so worship team you can join me and get ready to come and make some noise Let's finish with verses 11 through 13. See if what I've been teaching you is right. And they sang responsively, praising God and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. 
And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. You're going to cry sometimes, so cry loud like Jesus. You're going to get to shout for joy sometimes. Shout loud like Jesus will at the end of the age. And remember, the sound of your life as you navigate its joy and pain will be heard far away, like in verse 13, which means people are going to notice how you handle the good, the bad, the up, the down, the easy, the hard, the joy, the pain. So let's make sure we navigate it right. 